Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. I'm here today with Jeff Weinberger. Jeff is with DS3.com, uh, and he is the, um, the founder of DS3. He's found his passion in helping organizations identify and develop critical yet often overlooked strategic opportunities. He has a reputation for being innovative and, well, actually disruptive. And he helps organizations maximize the value of their key relationships to create, adapt to, and capitalize on disruption in their marketplace, uh, their technologies, and their businesses. He's a recognized thought leader, speaker, writer, and blogger on recurring revenue, disruptive marketing, and Web 2.0, Enterprise 2.0 technology. Uh, thank you for joining us, Jeff. Well, thank you for having me, Linda. It's a pleasure. Great. So I know we want to talk about recurring revenue. We want to talk about repeat business, but I cannot stop and, uh, and, and ask you about being the disruptive marketing guy. Um, does that mean you stand up in meetings and scream and, and shout? What does what does it mean to be the disruptive marketing guy? Well, I'm sure some of my former coworkers would be happy to tell you about the stories where I've stood up in meetings and screamed and shouted and done <laughs> other things that were fairly disruptive. Um, I do pride myself a bit on being unconventional. But disruptive marketing is actually one of the really big challenges, particularly in technology businesses, but across any business where there are new and interesting and innovative products coming into the market. Um, if you go back to um, Clay Christensen's model of disruptive innovation, where we, got, where we actually got the word disruptive introduced into our business vocabulary, he describes this in The Innovator's Dilemma as the idea that you've got some sort of new product, a new idea that comes into the market and completely changes the value the value equation, the value proposition for the customers in that market, and can actually displace and eventually put out of business in some cases former players, former dominant players in the market. So disruptive innovation is a really key idea and happens to us every day in the technology business. But bringing disruptive innovation to market is not always the easiest thing to do. It sort of seems like, you know, as technologists, we sort of believe we've always got a better mousetrap and We've got something that's really great, and people will just understand it really well once we explain it. Um, that's a nice idea, but not as, as us marketers know, not always the case. So the, the process of bringing disruptive innovation to market, understanding the relationships in the marketplace, how close customers are to existing power players in the market, how to pick off customers, who to go after with this new and different value proposition, and how to get from really interesting idea to market domination, market dominating, I should say, innovation is a process of marketing and market development that is not the most obvious. Um, and that's one of the things that I've become known for over the past 15 or 20 years and have gotten really good for, uh, good at doing that both for companies who were trying to disrupt markets and companies who were trying to defend against disruptive entrants. Ah, that's a good point because you can be disruptive or you can be disrupted against. Exactly. And, yeah, and, and if, you're you the, if, you're the, if you're the established again, player, you certainly don't someone. want to be disrupted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great, that's good to know. And and uh, and, and definitely I'm, I'm glad to hear it's more than just um, interrupting a meeting or two. 
Um, so tell us, talk about recurring revenue. Why is recurring okay. revenue so important to a company, and, and how do we kind of go about getting that? So one of one of the things that I learned in, in all those years of doing disruptive marketing is the key to successful marketing, the key to successful domination of a market is establishing strong relationships with your customers. And one of the things we've also seen over the last maybe 15 or 20 years is a dramatic increase in the speed at which business happens. And that's everything from innovation to marketing to, to customer relationships to change, whatever you want to call it. Um, everything in business is much faster than it ever has been. Yeah, absolutely. And so what that's done is it's made competitive advantage really hard to maintain because whatever competitive advantage you get goes away very quickly. So customer relationships, it turns out, are the only lasting competitive advantage. And getting those customer relationships and getting them really strong and really deep is the way companies can be truly successful. And one of the things that, that has happened also over time is we've gotten very, very good at growth. We, you know, especially in the technology industry, we, we have this culture of growth. We think the companies should be growing very quickly, and, and that's all great. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but once you've got all those customers, then what? What happens? So if you, look at, if you look at a lot of companies right now, and in technology a lot of companies are, are selling as a service, and whether it's software as a service or platform as a service or any of the so-called AAS acronyms, or in fact any number of other companies that are now selling on a subscription or recurring revenue basis, up to 80% of your business from any particular customer happens after the initial sale. I'm just going to pause for a second because that's an important number. 80% of your business from a particular customer happens after the initial sale, which means <clears throat> that if you look at your customers, you've got to focus on what happens after that sale, how you bring recurring revenue in from those customers. And not, not to dismiss this, but also just as importantly, upsell and add-on revenue from those customers. So recurring revenue is really critically important for that reason. Acquisition is just as critical. There, I mean, I'm not going to say it's not, but you can't, you can't get to recurring revenue without it. But if you get new customers and they walk out the door a year or two years or three years later, you're, you've got an enormous drag on your growth. Because if you're looking at top-line revenue growth, and 80% of the revenue from your customers that you acquired three years ago is coming from recurring revenue, and they're gone, suddenly you have to replace that revenue. And that places an enormous burden on your growth numbers. And, and I think we so, see that a lot in the wireless industry, for example. You know, we see well, cell phone companies is, that are churning customer lists all the time. Well, this is actually where I learned it. Twenty years ago, I was in the telco business. Okay. I had landline telco, not wireless. Um, but still, it's the same idea. Is that churn is an enormous problem for for wireless carriers, for telephone companies. Um, I even have a very good friend of mine who's a CFO at a large magazine publisher, and he talks about his biggest business problem being churn, which is subscriber churn people who subscribe to their magazine in either print or electronic format and then stop. Right. I, you know, go away to another magazine or just stop or don't want to read it anymore. So no matter what your business is, if you, de if you depend on revenue coming back year after year after year, 
and you have high churn rates, you're putting an enormous drag on your top line. Absolutely. And, you know, we've learned that only in the last few years in technology, but in telco and publishing and in dozens of other businesses, that's been the case for years and years and years. And the best way to do that. Because mm -hmm. uh, it seems to me, you and I have both come out of the technology industry. It seems to me that technology companies really don't put enough emphasis on that recurring revenue. Why do you think that is? Well, there's a few there's a few different factors. This is really interesting. Um, I, I do have a bias because I do have a background in both software and telecommunications, which think very differently, um, by the way. But I think for so many years, the technology industry, whether the software segments or the hardware segment or the services segment, thought about acquisition. In, in hardware, we used, when I was with Intel more years ago than I'd like to count, we used to think about design wins. So the idea was to go to a company and get them to design your semiconductor into their product. And then you depend on the revenue coming in. Right. If you think about you know, software, the idea was you go and you sell it, and once it's installed, you're in. Yes, right. you count on recurring maintenance revenue, but your real revenue comes from the installation piece. That culture, that mindset, despite the fact that you know, that generation is older and that generation, you know, there's a younger generation coming up which thinks differently, that mindset still exists. And if you, you, the evidence is you can look at any technology company today and look at where the people are and look at where the revenue, where, not where the revenue, I'm sorry, the, uh, the investment dollars are spent. And it's almost all on acquisition. And for a small company, that makes sense because you need new customers. But for a midsize or large company, you should see a better balance of acquisition, rev acquisition investment versus recurring revenue investment. And that is not happening. And right now, I mean, you, you look around the technology industry, almost everybody's starting software companies. Almost every software company is as a service, right. whether it's a platform or a software application or whatever it is. Almost everything is in the cloud. And if we don't get that right from the start, that we understand that not only getting but keeping customers is critical, then you can't succeed. So you have to make sure you know where the investment is, where the accountability is, and you have to make it, and this is actually one of the things that I recommend to a lot of my clients, make sure you have somebody who is accountable for recurring revenue and who owns that, you can say owns the problem, owns the number, owns whatever it is, but somebody's got to own it the way somebody owns acquisition. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, and, and tell me, how is marketing and selling to your existing customers different than going out and, and selling to new customers? How is retention different than acquisition? It's cheaper. Okay. <laughs> Just to start yeah, out. You don't have to go <laughs> capture those customers to start with. Exactly, because you know who they are. You already have an existing relationship, hopefully a good relationship with them. Um, although I will say there are you know, that's sort of the universal um, belief that selling to an existing customer is always cheaper than going and getting a new customer. Um, it's not 100% true. It's sort of 90% true. So there are cases where it's not exactly true. And for each individual company, you have to be careful to make sure you know what your cost of marketing and selling is. But it is cheaper. Um, you still need, in order to do selling to existing customers, you still need a process. You still need a funnel. You still need metrics. You still need all of the same things you do in selling and marketing to new customers. 
but you're going to do it very differently. And I, I want to start with, with this idea. We tend to misunderstand the customer funnel or the customer journey, as it's, it's commonly now called. And if you look at almost anybody's map of the customer journey, and I apologize if this is your map also, Linda, so <laughs> you, you look at that and you say, well, there's first contact, and then they get sort of interested, and maybe they, they download content, or maybe they make some contact with you, or maybe they go do some research. Maybe there's a, a cultivation cycle. Then you get into a, a qualified lead and a prospect, and then you get handed off to sales, and there's a sales process. And if you look at that customer journey, you have all of these things, and then you have a sale, and then you have this thing that's called ongoing. Mm -hmm. And it's always just one thing that's ongoing. Yet 80% of your revenue is sitting in this bucket called ongoing. Right. So we don't understand that journey. That journey does not stop when you make that first sale. The journey starts often when you make that first sale. You're, you're absolutely so right. And I tell people that purchase is only the, the middle of the process. Then you have exactly. to get the preference, which says that all things being equal, I will go out of my way to to go uh, and purchase your product or service. And then you get to loyalty. Mm -hmm. And loyalty is the kind of thing that says, I don't care if the price is lower. I don't care if I have to do without because you're not here. I'm only going to work with you, whether it's a product or service. And that's the kind of fanatical loyalty we see from companies like Apple, right? Um, exactly. But we see it in other places, too. And so well, purchase and is do. only the beginning. It's the middle of the cycle. Obviously, you've got to get them there, but you've got to move beyond purchase into preference and loyalty. So I absolutely agree with you on that one. Well, I'm glad you do. Thank you. I appreciate Good. that. And I, I think that we need, we need to, to help move that process and expand that ongoing bucket into a, you know, the rest of the process. Yep. So I think there's there's you know there's a few things. First, there's an existing relationship. Second, there are established expectations. Yep. And third, there's a history of of, de of delivering value. You hope by the time it comes to a renewal that you've delivered some value to that customer, and they can say, "Wow, this has been great for us. We really want to keep going." Not, well, this hasn't really worked out. Why should I continue? That's not the conversation you want to be having at renewal time. That is a conversation you need to have if it happens, but it's not the one you want to be having at renewal time. Right, exactly. So are, then it's too late, yeah. Yeah, so there are five keys. I actually wrote a blog post about this if anybody wants to go take a look at, at my, my various blah, blah, blogging. Um, it's um, five keys to actually making renewal selling different from acquisition selling. And one is making the relationship work for you, which is understanding – where the value is, understanding what that relationship with your customer is, and taking advantage of the things that are really great about that relationship to make, help make that sale happen. Mm -hmm. The second is let your customer tell you what your value, what, where the value is. Don't assume that your marketing hype and your marketing positioning, which you've probably done a lot of work on and is probably pretty good, it still doesn't tell you – it tells you what you think the value is. Right. So let your customer tell you what they think the value is and sell to their value. Yes. I mean, this is, this is very basic for most salespeople, but not always for marketers, unfortunately. Um, third, you're already ahead of your competition because it's your customer. Act like it. Work with the customer. Don't even think about – who my competitor is, your competitor is all the things you've done wrong. Ah, oh, interesting. Which is a very different piece of competition than another company or do nothing. Yep. 
Um, fourth is use what you know to find more value. And this is looking at upsell and missed opportunities. Where have you delivered value and where could you, based on knowing that, deliver more value? Mm-hmm. And this will help you get not only renewal, but help you deepen that relationship, both in terms of value delivery and also in terms of revenue. And then use what you know. Invest in renewal and upsell based on what you know about your customers. And this is this is one of the interesting things that's not obvious. What you know is not really that relationship piece of, oh, I know that this guy cares about this. What it is, particularly for SaaS companies or other AAS type of models, you know what your customers are doing with your product and service. You know every click, you know every setting, you know every single user account, whatever it is, it's all in your systems. Go look. See what they're actually doing. Use what you know about what they're actually doing to figure out how to make those investments. That will tell that that data will tell you an enormous amount about your relationship with that customer. That's great to know. Great insights. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I, We've I been talking helps. here with Jeff Weinberger. Jeff is the disruptive marketing guy, but he's here talking with us about um, about recurring revenue and how to get that other eighty percent that that you don't get on the first sale. And um, as we mentioned, Jeff is with DS3. And the blog he's talking about is available at www.dstree.com slash blah-blah-blah-blog. Slash so blah, blah, blog. so uh, go, go there and you'll find, uh, you'll find more it. information not only on this topic but on other topics related to disruptive marketing and recurring revenue and, uh, and uh, other interesting posts that you'll want to look at. So thank you, Jeff, for being with us today. Well, thank you, Linda. I hope this is helpful, and I, I, I hope that I, I, I can provide some value in helping your customers, your listeners, and um, your, your clients understand how relationships can be a great source of competitive advantage. That's wonderful. Thanks very much. This is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, contact us at www.leverage2market.com.